Coming up on Season 3 of Another Question, we talk about the birth and death of HP and D&D. We tease a game jam, and we say currencies way too often. Welcome to Season 3 of Another Question. Uh, so when we were thinking about this season, we decided that we want to do something a little different. Uh, instead of just kind of recording episodes until we felt like stopping, this season we're going to really approach it as a season. Uh, we're going to focus on diving into the mechanical underpinnings of Dungeons & Dragons. Each episode we're going to take one mechanic from D&D, or one concept, and explore why it exists, where it came from, and how it's evolved into other games. So to get us started, we're going to talk about hit points. Hey Adam, what's up with HP? So I went and looked at kind of all the war games that were coming out at the time uh, because I thought for sure this is going to be a war game oriented, you know, uh, mechanism because that's where a lot of D and D's stuff came from in the first place, right? We've just got a big war game, and instead of playing the armies, we're just going to play the individuals, and that sounds cool. Uh, this is like SPI Avalon Hill era war games. And so we're looking at stuff like Bismarck and Kingmaker and 1776. And these are filled with combat results tables where you roll the die and the die tells you this is what happens. And odds charts where you say, oh, I have two times their strength or I have three times their strength or three halves or whatever. But I couldn't really find places where you were taking damage um, because in lots of these kind of games with tactical or strategic you know, units moving across the map, it's did you kill them or force them to retreat? And those are your only two options. Uh, and in, except for stuff like Bismarck, because when you had a big warship, it was going to take slow hit point, points of damage and, oh, we're going to mess with their armor in the front and we're going to mess with their armor in the back. But, you know, the Bismarck wasn't really affected by any of that stuff until it sank. And when it sank, it was dead. So... Dave Arneson said in an interview with GameSpy in like 2004 that he came up with HP from a system that he had designed for Civil War battles called Ironclads. Because uh -huh. I was like, there's no way D&D came at, came at it from a ship angle. But no, it came at it from a it ship angle. It came at it from a ship angle. Uh, we're basically playing the Monitor and the Merrimack. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's really interesting because that that's one thing that I had in my notes is referring to... HP as kind of a way to, uh, like a percentage remaining kind of thing, which is, I think, where it goes later in wargaming right. uh, for entire units. But the idea that part of something can be gone is one of those innovations that D&D pulls together from multiple origi like original sources that were completely non-obvious as a, a single combined thing, oh, yeah. but which together are part of what makes D&D work. Um, I think that's like an interesting part that it's still there. Uh, that that's an, an innovation for the original uh, game, but mm -hmm. for the ongoing, whatever, fourth, fifth edition, the fact that that is still the mechanic uh, is an interesting thing. I think it's a combination of the fact that it is a really good, useful mechanic, mm -hmm. but it's also an element of editions, uh, which we covered several episodes ago, but mm -hmm. with the idea that you can't go too far in a new edition. They can't make a D&D game that is fundamentally not D&D, &D, and there are some things that have become so essential to the game that you can't get rid of them easily, and a lot of those are the same things that were innovations to begin with. Right. Which is actually kind of frustrating to me as a designer. Uh, <laughs> I love lots of modern D&D, &D, but like so much of 
where it's coming from is now the past edition, but with a few things tacked on. There, there are so many things that can't be tackled. I mean, it's not like Wizards didn't attempt to put out other role-playing games. It's sure. just that none of them really grabbed people like... In the same way. Yeah. And, and I, I can understand that. And that's the tricky thing about it being a business. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't grab people in the same way, then it's not going to exist. Whereas uh, folks like you and I, when we make games, aren't really making them as a business. Mm-hmm. Our, our costs are much lower, and we're not pursuing the maximum profit. So we can make games that innovate and change. Print 100 copies at a print shop and take it to Gen Con. Yeah, hey, that worked out for me pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think an interesting comparison, now that we get into it, is actually with HP is um, carried over from edition to edition, mm-hmm. kind of like a lot of things are carried over through the Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, the thing that I love about A New Hope is the fact that it mashes up all these genres. It's part samurai movie, it's part uh, World War II bomber film, it's part western. There's these little bits of all these genres, and then the, the kind of space fantasy sci-fi element jammed in, mm-hmm. uh, and that initial combination makes it feel new and interesting, but also very familiar in some ways. And then from there, through everything up until uh, episode eight, uh, not The Force Awakens, the one after it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking <laughs> on this of all things. Uh, the Force the Awakens, Jedi. the Last Jedi. Yes, yeah. the Last Jedi. Oh, the thing that I loved about that movie is that it felt. Like it was drawing from something else than Star Wars movies for the yeah. first time in seven movies, mm-hmm. um, and and The Force Awakens managed to do a really good movie that just drew from Star Wars for the most part, but uh, it it's that kind of feeling of doing that genre mashup again, mm-hmm. and that's something that D and D hasn't had. I mean, if we were if I were making a hypothetical sixth edition, I would try to make it more of a mashup of. You know, look at all of look at the current going design and what different things could we bring in. What what is actually our our hodgepodge to pull from this time? Do you think you would leave HP though? Because uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you could get away with making a D and D game that didn't have hit points somehow. So it depends on what you mean by hit points somehow, and mm-hmm. I think that's something that we'll probably end up spending some time on. Is there's lots of mechanics that. Uh, are some sort of ablative harm tracking, sure, but which don't look much like HP. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Blades in the Dark come to mind here, uh, where you track specific wounds and they f- you have only so many wounds you can take, and they're of different degrees. But fundamentally, uh, like if you if you zoom that back far enough, it is kind of HP, and you only have so many HP. But it's not an all or nothing HP. It's not an all or nothing HP, and there's a lot more. Uh, what I'd call fictional positioning around it. There's a lot more meaning in to your character of what lo- this particular harm meant as opposed to, oh, I lost some HP. Um, that's the kind of thing that I, I think could fly for Dungeons & Dragons. Um, though you put me in the tough position of saying if I'd get rid of HP, and fundamentally I made dungeon, I co-wrote Dungeon World and I didn't get rid of HP. I mean, Apocalypse World... if I was going to do another edition, I wouldn't get rid of it either. Even Apocalypse World didn't get rid of HP, right? No. The furthest that D&D's ever gotten away from HP is uh, where they had bloodied status in 4th edition. Sure. And that's, all that is, is steps in war games. Yeah. Like, you have your one side of your counter and you flip it, and now you have your other side of the counter, and maybe it's slightly different, maybe the morale's different, maybe whatever... That's all 4th edition did. and they, they got away from that a little bit in uh, D20 Modern, which mm-hmm. had an idea that there were 
uh, I forget what it was, HP and I think stamina points or something. Yeah. Uh, of course, I don't have the book in front of me. But uh, some damage is just kind of getting tired and it's easy to recover. And then mm-hmm. some damage is like damage, which is tougher to recover. That, which, was, the, that was the whole design ethos of the time, though, right? That was, yeah. There were a lot of games that went and said, well, we can't just have one type of HP because people don't like that you can go so far and take so much worry before having having these issues. And then there was games like Spycraft that came out around the same time as D&D Modern that said, well, we're going to pretend that instead of taking damage, this is kind of like, you know, your your the amount of time, the amount of luck you have before your luck runs out in the movie and then you take that one shot that actually hits you. Uh-huh. None of the other shots actually hit you. They're just we're just pretending. Right? Which is kind of the HP uh, I don't know what it is. The the way you're supposed to think about it, the way that they've always explained it in the games, it's like, well, you know, you might not actually be taking serious wounds, or which just makes armor class really weird. Like the whole fictional idea of, of what HP. HP is, right? It's just it, it's really interesting because I think uh, one way to look at HP is also in a very um, board gaming sense. If we were going to not worry about the fiction of D and D at all uh, and just play the combat war game of it then HP is basically uh, like a negative currency, and a- uh, XP is your kind of positive currency, and so your job is to get as many XP victory points as you can, which lets you do more cool things, without uh, losing all of your HP. And as a board game design, that's kind of crap. Uh, <laughs> like, it, it's it, uh, it, uh, that's probably a little strong. It's not the worst, but it's it's a design that has a point where you stop playing. Sure. Which is an interesting thing to bake into a game. Like, D&D is a game that you can not only... It's got player elimination. It's got player elimination, and it's got player elimination in a a very open-ended way. Uh, Player elimination in board games, typically you try to make sure that people can't be eliminated too early while everybody else is going to sit around the table and keep on playing for another two hours because that just doesn't work socially. Mm-hmm. Whereas D&D is a game where your character can get eliminated and everybody's going to sit around the table playing for another two years. Uh, and so it's a, a really interesting thing to bake into the game. And I actually think that's part of the fundamental appeal. Mm-hmm. As a board game, the, oh, you, you're, you're done, you can't keep on competing for more XP is not very good in most situations. But in a... Uh, a fiction where we want to be invested in these things, loss needs to be some amount of an option for us to invest in them. Things that are like completely safe and secure aren't going to be as interesting. And so one of the things that D&D says is unsafe and unsecure is your life. And HP is a way of doing that in a, a way that gives you some fine-grained control. I think D&D would be a really interesting game if uh, it really were you are either okay or dead. That's what HP often people kind of boil it down to. As long as you have at least one HP, you're fine, and then you lose all your last HP and you're dead. It's the Magic the Gathering model. Exactly. Uh, the, the Pretty much every digital Magic game in the last few years has had one of its loading screen hints be, as long as you have one, eight, uh, one life left, you can still win. Uh, which is true, and it, it's interesting there because you're you're burning down. It, it's a race with the other player. Uh, in D and D, I think it'd be really interesting to see one hit point D and want somebody to design that game where you literally only have one hit point, and then you still have to uh, do 
D&D things. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're trying to keep the overall feel of Dungeons & Dragons, the, the fantasy adventure, uh, we'd have to target it down to one, like, edition, because what each edition does is skewed so much, but some sort of fantasy adventure, uh, trying to get treasure, delving kind of thing, but you only have one HP ever. You're, that never increases, but we still want to have risk involved. Uh, that would be a really interesting thing to do. It's hard to... So you, what you're looking for also is you're looking for how can the player say, I am willing to risk something, mm-hmm. right? Because in D&D, your risk is, I'm going to slowly you know, travel down this track, and then bad things... You know, I'm done. Or I'm going to take these conditions, and that's the risk that I'm taking, or whatever. And if you have one hit point, that's a huge avenue of risk that you're telling people you can no longer, you no longer have this accessible to you. You only have your other, you know, maybe you can get turned to stone, but you're not technically dead, or you could mm-hmm. get slowed down, or uh, you can't get hurt in the same way, yeah. because that's the only mechanic that D&D has for being hurt, right? Yeah. And that's kind of a weak mechanic for being hurt in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. It, it, like you said earlier, it's the, as long as you have at least one HP, you're fine thing, which means that you're not really hurt. You're kind of in the spycraft sense, like just more possible to be made dead. Um, an interesting place that uh, some prior art on HP type games comes from, including the, the naval games, is the idea of HP really being more like a blade of armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in D&D, typically armor is how hard you are to hit, and HP is how many times you can be hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the innovations of D&D is combining both of those into one game. Typically, games were kind of doing one or the other prior to Dungeons & Dragons, where you either had uh, you know any attack that can line you up is going to take some number of your ablative points, or you roll kind of on the effect table and find out whether you actually did anything to them. Mm-hmm. And the idea of combining those two is one of the innovations of D&D that really resonates, but it also means that uh, some things got lost in kind of the fictional transition there. I think it'd be really interesting for an addition of D&D to uh, maybe my one hit point D&D. All of your other hit points are gear, mm-hmm. uh, are, are pretty much anything else you can come up with, you can magic, whatever. Um, and in that way, you can set up like the the still taking damage, but fundamentally people sure. are are squishy things that die quickly. Well, I mean, you could even go back to so the two big war game modes of HP that have gotten a little bit more press in modern games. You could still do the ships thing and just have it be systems that you're damaging, which is very similar to that idea, right? Yeah. Uh, Chad Jensen has a couple of games that he's designed, and there's a few others like this, where when you blow something up, you put a little counter on it that says, maybe this is totally destroyed. Mm. But you don't know until somebody attempts to find out. Yep. Right? And so it's just kind of sitting there as a, I don't know if this tank is actually going to get up and shoot me in a second. Uh, And so I can't treat it like it's completely off the board. And I can't also treat it like I have this tank available for me to use if you're on the other side, right? Mm which is kind of <laughs> kind of your game mechanic of I'm going to flip this thing over and we'll see if how badly I'm going to be affected by sure, this yeah, particular yeah. damage point. The thing that Adam is referring to there is uh, my new, as of this recording, game Catch the Devil, where uh, it's an uh, apocalypse world-derived game, so you've got 
basic moves, and the basic moves are the same for everybody, but the way that you suffer harm uh, will eventually lead to you flipping those over, and the, uh, well, flipping them over is the metaphorical sense. You don't actually have to have them on cards, but you'll get a different version as you come under stress. Typically those are worse. In some cases they may be better. Uh, and that kind of, it, it in some ways is still HP. You only have so many moves that you can wound, mm -hmm. and once they're all wounded, you if you try to wound again when they're all wounded, you die, you are dying. Um, so in some ways it's impossible to get away from the most abstract concept of HP, which I think is one of the powerful things. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of encapsulating this idea into HP is... Uh, not quite an innovation, because as you pointed out, other people were doing this, but it, it uh, thinking of it in that way has been so instrumental in other designs that now you can look at pretty much every implementation of suffering harm in some way and kind of boil it down to HP. Yeah. Uh, even if it's the you're fine or you're dead, then it's a zero, one hit HP system. And yeah. I mean, the design problem that he was trying to solve at the time was it's no fun to play this game where... As soon as you got shot, you were done. Mm -hmm. uh, he knew that somehow there needed to be this progress bar between uh, we're going into danger and I think I'm okay, and then I'm getting worse. Do I leave? Do I stay? I'm getting worse. I'm getting worse. I really need to get out of here. Um, because there were, there were deadly dungeons and, and terrible times, right? And all of the tactical war games are like, no, your, your whole squad's going to be blown up when this happens. And you can't really make somebody retreat in the same way, the yeah. way that they were thinking about in D&D. You, know, you weren't going to force your character to do anything in that version of D&D where there are, you know, Pendragon will say, yeah, you're forced to do whatever I, you know, whatever your character would do. Mm -hmm. All this kind of stuff. Like the... The same design problem still exists, and it's hard, like, without getting into some weird definitional argument, like, uh, Blades in the Dark stress, yeah. right? How is this different from hit points in, in when you get right down to the root of it? Because it's, it's a progress bar that you are filling up, and when it fills up all the way, you are removed from play. So... Is it, it's kind of like hit points? I think that's part of why stress is less interesting to me in Blades than harm is, actually. Mm -hmm. Harm has all these interesting fictional things to it, whereas stress is just another HP meter. Mm -hmm. um, though it's an interesting one to fill up, I guess, is part of the interesting thing there. It's, it's the cool thing about stress to me, so I'm, you know, the cool thing about stress to me, because I'm stealing it and, and applying it to a couple of other weird things, is that it's player decided. Mm. The the DM and the monsters are effectively deciding how much damage you're going to be taking. But the player gets to decide, I'm willing to take more stress. Yeah. Right? And putting that decision on the player side and then telling you, you can't decide exactly how much stress you're going to take. That's the one part that's out of your control. But you can decide, instead of taking harm, instead of taking these bad consequences, I'm going to fill up my, you know, not quite HP meter and uh, that's going to push me towards being out, which, I don't know, the the aesthetic of being in charge of that kind of thing is, it just gives it a much more different feel. Right? Yeah, because in some ways what you're describing there, uh, abstracted a lot, is the, the D20 modern thing where you've got kind of your one type of HP that you go through before the other, mm -hmm. but the mechanics around when you do that are much more interesting and involve... Uh, both the fiction and the players much more, as opposed to it just being two pulls of HP that you do one and then the other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. The no matter how we design this, at some point it it 
boils back down there. I mean, if um, you abstract anything far enough, yeah, you, you know, you you end up playing what is what's that stupid uh, web game that's like just progress bars filling up? Yeah, I can't. Uh, that is that is every RP like the the click quest or whatever. There, there's a number of those. It's the details um, that really make it a role playing game in the first place, which is again why you like Harm, even yeah. though Harm is effectively four hit points I in mean, a weird way. Like I, I actually don't like Harm all that much more than HP. Like mm-hmm. I think that it Harm is slightly more interesting mostly because it has a point at which you automatically get worse and a point at which you automatically get better mm-hmm. which I think is is a good mechanic to have there uh, but yeah on its own I don't find harm all that interesting um, the thing that I actually do find more interesting uh, at Gen Con Adam and I were in a uh, game that we signed up for because I love signing up for games run by people that I don't know that are systems that I don't know uh, called Boldly Go or Too Boldly Go which is boldly a Boldly Go because Too boldly, boldly Go is the Blades thing and this is more of a weird fate thing yeah this is kind of a fate <clears throat> related system for doing uh, Star Trek obviously given the name and uh, the the guy who was running it was the author, and he explained a lot of things, not all of which we got to see him play, unfortunately. But the uh, ship shields mechanic that he has is really interesting because it's emulating the, the way that Star Trek episodes work, where uh, if your shields are at full and you get hit, they tend to go down by a lot. Uh, if they are close to zero and they get hit they are actually more resilient because that's kind of how the drama of every Star Trek episode works, is that you have to take it down to the point where losing any more will be a big deal, but then it's less likely that you lose that last little bit. I kind of want that as an HP mechanic, actually. I think that that's part of where harm gets interesting for me, is that harm in Apocalypse World, that uh, if you go far enough down, it it is more of a problem than if you've only lost a little. Uh, I think that would be an interesting mechanic. I'm not sure how you do it in a, a way that would be concise, which I think is one of the huge arguments for HP. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've described all these other systems that do interesting HP-like things, but pretty much all of them are more complex in some way than HP as implemented in, say, Moldvay D&D, and and really most D&D since then. Um, there's, There's something to be said for that simplicity, that it's really easy to say, like, these points are what keep you alive, and if you're out of them, you are dead, or dying, depending on quite how the rules work, but there there's a, a simplicity there that is very useful, uh, and it's one of the simplest ways to get that uh, multiple hit, you can take multiple hits aspect that is so important, and mm-hmm. especially to have, you can take multiple hits, and you can take multiple hits, but you don't tell, know quite how many. Uh, if, it, if HP is, you know, my hypothetical one HP system, or like three HP or something, and every hit is just one damage, it's really easy to do the math on how many times you can get hit. Uh, whereas having some variability in there is is really important to making HP an interesting system. Yeah. So so, so okay. A couple of things. So first, boldly goes take more and then take less type of thing. Effectively, Vincent Baker's clock for damage tries to do that because you're filling in much bigger segments of the clock when you're getting hit early. But they. Uh... I know that there. If I know that to you and I and the game designers, we look at that and we see oh. Six segments, I know that that is six HP, I'm going to reduce that. But a lot of the interesting things in role-playing games is is the detail. 
right? Sure. Burning Wheel is good because it gives you a million details and you can pull those out and do interesting things with them. And you can reduce a lot of stuff to be like, oh, well, this gives me this many numbers and this gives me an extra number and this gives me these extra numbers and this gives me three more dice or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the, the detail is what makes it interesting, right? Uh, if you reduce all of your skills in your burning wheel sheet to A, B, C, D, E, then, you know, just because E can give you a dice to see, it doesn't mean anything, right? You, it's, it's just those, those details and those extra bits of meaning that you can get. Now, the, the clock having slightly larger segments it is kind of the weakest aesthetic way to do it. But if you're always taking more damage early and less damage later, it's not that much different. Like in fighting games, uh, like in video game fighting games, you actually have the the last end of the hit point box is mm -hmm. bigger. It doesn't look bigger, but it is it bigger. It is bigger. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you get into the the final, you think you've the beaten The sliver, yeah. yeah. And then That's they still, really they really have about as much as they would have had, you know, a, a larger segment earlier on in the fight. Uh -huh. Because they know that that makes it more tense, yep. you know. And so you can do a lot of these weird little tension tricks. Well, and typically, uh, the visual design there, for especially modern fighting games, they will vary the, the vertical size mm -hmm. of the uh, health bar as it goes towards either end, which, again, is, is kind of like the different size ticks on the Apocalypse Horde clock. It's not actually doing anything, but it is uh, creating a feeling mm -hmm. which is doing something. I guess I just said it's not doing anything, <laughs> which is not what I meant to say. It's, it's weird, right? Because there's, there's certainly the game designer looking at the system and saying, how are the numbers and currencies moving around this system? And that is the game. But there's this huge other part of the game that is, how are people reacting to this change, mm -hmm. right? Because So we're going to do an auction, and we're, the way that we do the auction is we'll hold everything in our fists and then let them drop onto the table, or we'll alternate between you know, what we're going to say. And in the end, we're going to spend some money and we're going to get a thing. But the different ways that you can do an auction, just the way that they feel, everybody will spend way more money if only the winner's going to pay and we're going simultaneous. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to spend way less money if everybody pays. But those are like, you know, game design abstract. So then if we're talking about it, there's this whole political aspect on top of that, which is, I mean, really, it's only going to be one more. Yeah. Why don't you just spend one more, which is the whole Amber stat auction thing. Like, yeah. don't you really want to be the best at this? I think it's worth just a little bit more. And that's not something that you're going to write in the system. Mm -hmm. Right? It's it's a stat auction. We're going to auction off these stats. But it doesn't convey the feel of, how about just a little bit? Yeah. You, can't, you can't stop. you got to keep going. I think the, the feel is really important. And it makes me wonder about an Apocalypse World uh, hack where uh, you take harm as, what would it be, uh, eighths of the circle. Mm -hmm. And so if you if the next thing to fill in is not an eighth, you fill in the entire thing. So then you have this, like, taking one harm early on fills in a quarter of your circle because the first section is a quarter, but taking uh, one harm later on fills in just one of those last two eighths, which would create some of that, like, it's easy to, to get taken out at first and then the last little bit goes last longer. Um, I think that that's, and that's a little bit uh, in a very abstract way, like how um, 
Blades in the Dark does harm, mm -hmm. where if you if all of your smaller slots are filled and you're taking harm, mm -hmm. it upgrades to whatever open slot you have. It, it's a little bit of the, the same thing that you can you can soak some early and it can be not a big deal, but if you take too much of not a big deal, it becomes a big deal. Um, I mean, how much of this is that, you know, when the progress bar is full, you are removed from play. Like, how much of this is that punishment is just the only punishment that's gonna matter to a player, mm. right? Like, in D&D, you don't tend, based on, you know, D&D 5 rules as written as far as I understand them, you don't tend to be like, oh, I'm gonna take your sword away. Mm -hmm. uh, because D&D 5 is, here is my character, all that is on my sheet is sacrosanct to me, and I get to use all of it, and you're not going to be able to reduce my skills, and you're not going to be able to take my XP away. The only way you can hit me is HP. I think that's in some ways a, a loss in modern D&D uh, design. Mm -hmm. If you look at early D&D, I think uh, HP is one currency, and it is the one that has the clearest exit mechanism, right? Uh, but it is actually just another currency. It's kind of your core currency, but you, in some ways, if you look at it abstractly enough, you are trading your HP for gold to go mm -hmm. on adventures, and then you're trading your gold for XP and uh, belongings. Totally. And uh, those may include, and healing, because you may be paying to either get healed directly or, or stay somewhere that you're safe, and then you are now back to the state where you have HP to spend again, but you don't have any gold, so you've got on more adventures. You're trading your spells for HP, you're trading... Exactly, yeah. and then spells trade in time, So and then time trades in wandering monsters. Yep. Like, the, there's all these interlocking systems that are you're, you're trading between, and HP is just kind of the most central of them that the others eventually tie down to in some way. Mm -hmm. um, but there are lots of other things that you care about losing. And I think in, in modern D&D, we've gotten a lot further from that. Uh, it is typically less of a big deal to lose your, your sword, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, sure. Like you said, you lose your sword and you're like, oh, well, the money that we picked up off of that random goblin buys me another sword. Um, we've talked a lot about how I really appreciate gold as XP just yeah. because it makes it so much more of a, uh, a decision-making point, mm -hmm. right? If you're going in and you're going to get XP from these this list of things, then you want to do that list of things. Like, when, when I play games with Eric, uh, especially pickup games, he'll sit down and he'll go, how exactly can I get advancement? Yep. Even if it's a one-shot and we know you're not going to advance, he's like, this is what the game designer is telling me to do, yep. so I want to go do this stuff. I think that hit him pretty hard in the, the version of Catch the Devil that I have right now, because there is no advancement. He's like, okay, how do I get advancement? I'm like, no, this is pretty much just to like see how your character survives. What am I thing. supposed to do? I mean, it's it's an experience. It's a little bit mm -hmm. like dread in that respect, actually. Mm -hmm. Like it, there there's a it's possible to have a thing where you are not going for advancement and still have it be fun in some very specific genres. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think that HP, actually HP is Jenga Tower or something that I didn't even think about. That's that's basically Dread's model in a way. Yeah. Uh, and actually, this is the greatest time to bring up this thing that I haven't been able to tweet about yet. <laughs> uh, so at Gen Con, I, one of the things I brought back for my daughter, my older daughter, was uh, Rhino Superhero, which is a, a game where uh, you are building a tower out of cards 
uh, and eventually you have to put a little rhino figurine on it, and if you knock it over, you're you're out, and just a fun kid's game of stacking things. Uh, in the past, she's also played Animal Upon Animal, which is a whole bunch of wooden figures that look like animals, and you have to stack them up with certain rules, uh, but both of these games are kind of Jenga in reverse, and now, the same way that Dread uses Jenga, I want to create a game that rhino uses hero game. Rhino Hero or <laughs> Animal Upon Animal, where like you're building up your situation worse and worse, because mm-hmm. Dread takes this idea that you start out with a stable situation, and then you make it unstable, and eventually it all falls down, which is great metaphor for a Jenga tower. Uh, I'm thinking of something, I, I almost want it to be like a um, a spy game or something, or like an intrigue game, where you keep on adding complications until it is so complicated that everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. And then you're, that's when you're Tower, like you know, you've hit that the point situation where your tower falls collapses. Apart, yeah. yeah, the situation falls apart, uh, and it's less about the situation pushing you to make it uneven than it is the situation is so tough that you keep on adding complications and flashbacks. And uh, in some ways, it would be like a almost Tinker Tailor Soldier spy, like the the really arcane uh, kind of spy thrillers where you have to keep track of like who knows what, when, and which date it is, and all that stuff. It would be the way of doing that. Um, but then your HP is a tower you build, instead mm-hmm. of a tower that you pull apart. So let's talk about one HP D&D. Okay, let's uh, do it. Because the interesting parts that you can kind of fiddle with with that is to say, to change how character death works, which is like we could do a whole series on character death, uh, but also to change where on your character sheet can the enemies and the the obstacles in your path hit you? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you risking when you're going out? You're 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 no longer really risking your life because that's kind of the big eject button, right? Yeah. You're you're risking other stuff. Yeah, and I think the the way to to do that would be, uh, or at least one way would be a lot of um, items, like lean hard into the economy side of things, mm-hmm. and you're taking damage to your armor, taking damage to your sword. There could be a whole lot more kind of parrying mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see a version of D&D that added just a little bit more interesting stuff around kind of dividing your attention between attack and defense, because mm-hmm. uh, this is something that, again, there's a, a wonderful simplicity to just like, what do you attack this turn? It doesn't really matter how far you go attacking, you just always kind of defend the same. That's wonderfully simple. Uh, But it's also really interesting when you have to decide between how aggressive am I being. Mm -hmm. And so if you have, you know, your your points uh, to all, if your, say your dex bonus is points that you can allocate between defense, they're just like an automatic absorb of that much, mm-hmm. or your attack bonus, and you have to decide, uh, especially if the way that you do combat encounters is not quite as calculated as modern D&D tends to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the downside to very planned encounters is that then it becomes very easy for players to kind of be confident going into it that, you know, oh, I don't have to be defensive here because this uh, this encounter probably isn't that big a deal. Whereas the the element of the unknown, the element of, uh, oh yeah, could, like, sure, he described these as goblins, but are they? Right. Like, uh, would, would be really interesting in that kind of system. Well, so I'm also trying to avoid having just moving the progress bars from HP over to all your items. And yeah. so they'd all have to be one HP type things too, right? I mean, I was allowing myself an out there where it's just you only. But that would actually I mean, be... that's just errant. So sure. the way that er- that damage works in my mech game that I'm working on, this kind of mechs and pendragon, is that when you take damage, instead of having a stress bar, 
you have all the things on your mech, and you get to choose what is taking the brunt of that damage, which is this items yeah, model, right? It is this items model. I, I'm going to shoot that mech, and they're going to dodge out of the way, but actually I'm going to resist that because I fired so many bullets, and so I'm just stressing how much ammunition I happen to have left. But if, you, if you're just moving the progress bars from there to there, then what's the difference between HP and I'm, you know, taking damage to my body? <laughs> I mean, that, that's... that's uh, I was, uh, like, dancing around my own question there, but I'm <laughs> sure. I think it, it already gets more interesting if you're you sure you still have an HP bar, mm -hmm. but what that HP bar is made up of is it's different meant. things. Yes. Because then that means that you can lose, permanently lose many chunks of that, mm -hmm. as opposed to... HP all be in your body where it's kind of like, well, you're probably going to get that all back uh, because typically games aren't very good about dealing with different body types and stuff. And so uh, due to, I think, a, a lack of empathy and a lack of understanding from people, it's always like, oh, well, we can't have, you know, uh, a adventure without a hand that that obviously won't fly or, or whatever, um, which I, I think is just short sighted. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that. An interesting way to do it while still keeping the one HP restriction, uh, I could imagine a system where you have three categories of harm, and everything can take one hit, but some things can only take some categories of hits. So it's always one hit, no matter it's not a conversion of like one small equals two medium equals two large or whatever. Sure. But it... it you know, if you can expend ammo only to get rid of incidental hits because you throw up flak or whatever, mm -hmm. but you can't use ammo to get rid of a direct hit, mm -hmm. that has to be only like physical things on your mech can absorb direct hits. Right. Um, I think that keeps us still in the, the one HP realm of everything. You have more than one HP, but they're spread across different things. Right. And each of those things only has one HP, mm -hmm. but they can each absorb different kinds of hits. I think in, you, can in a, spend, you can spend those different types of currency. Sure. To, to you, you, yes. Once we have zero or one HP, it becomes even just like a currency that you spend. You're at, spending bullets to prevent yourself from taking the one hit point that would kill you. Yep, because on it's your only ever one HP. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, this that's, is, that's a lot how this works. Yeah, that, that, I think this, uh, I kind of want to do this as D&D with, mm -hmm. because there would be really interesting there to bring in uh, lots of other D&D elements into this. So, for example, wizard spells. Mm. It would be oh, interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you can basically take a clonk to the head and lose a spell, either temporarily or permanently, and those can be two different sets of harm. You mm -hmm. can, you can uh, take a light blow to the head <laughs> and, and get rid of like a, a minor hit, mm -hmm. or you can take a, a permanent head wound to get rid of like a major killing blow, but you permanently lose access to a spell mm -hmm. and can never relearn it. That would be super interesting. Um, this actually, this is going slightly off topic, but what else do we do? Right. Um, brings me around to, I kind of want to make this version of D&D as a really short booklet and put it on Itch. Oh, yeah. Because both Adam and I have become huge fans of um, Itch.io as a platform for distributing digital games, especially small games and especially games that you want feedback on or you want to do kind of a game jam with. Uh, so I'm really tempted to do a 1 HP jam game jam and have our own oh. entry of, uh, I, I basically want to write a very simple like World of Dungeons-esque game, uh -huh. but with this particular harm system that we're discussing. Um, in fact, depending on when we want to release this episode, uh, maybe we'll we'll do some kind of promotion along with it and and... I'm not sure whether we'd both write our own one HP games or I whether mean, we'll... the one that I'm the one that you're talking about here is like halfway to errant. 
Uh, and sure, so, but I, I know how many other things you have planned for Eric. A couple of other things, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a bigger game. It could be... Whereas I'm saying, like, a game literally size-wise close to World of Dungeons. I do love is, the yeah. idea of one HP game jam uh, kicking off the season. Like, there's there's a lot of really interesting things that you can do with it. Like, there's, there's totally a game where you're playing a roguelike, and yeah. you're just descending into this dungeon, and uh, if you take a hit whatsoever... Yep, you're done. You're yeah. done. That's that's great. Uh, goodbye. Uh, maybe you can make it down next time. Rotate DMs, and that's that's how it goes, right? Um, you can you can roll new characters in. Maybe you have a game where it's so easy to make characters that it's like, cool. I took my one hit. Here's how I get to be a new person. Yeah, uh, I think you could even go very uh, like change your pitch a little bit with the um, character creation as well. Mm -hmm. If characters are that easy to generate and you want to do some kind of adventure game, the the downside to uh, quick-generated characters and swapping them out in adventure games is generally either you end up in kind of uh, managing a lot of characters because you're not sure which one will die, or there's kind of the awkward, like, who comes in next. Mm -hmm. I would love to see some games that are, like, working around that fictionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So either the, the... Two that come to mind for me immediately uh, are some game that is like a very kind of weird high magic. Uh, every time you die, you immediately come back as like a reincarnation of yourself, like like immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, you just stand full, back up and full paranoia with magic. Yeah, yeah like, like your, your next clone pops in, or the one that I can see doing. Um, for a long time, I've wanted to mess around with some modern takes on uh, the X-Crawl idea. Oh, yeah. So X-Crawl is, I think it's had a few versions since, but the one that I'm most familiar with is D20 era. Uh, and it's basically dungeon crawling as televised sport. Um, and I, I've really wanted to do something along those lines for a long time. I'm wondering if maybe uh, the 1HP Game Jam is a time to do that, <laughs> where you can get inserted back in with your new sponsor or whatever uh, as a new character and join the team. Uh, it, actually, no, it should be join the team. There should literally be, like, somebody holds up the board with the substitution numbers, and they, they drag <laughs> off one corpse and shove the next person in. Yeah, there's a, um, lot, of, there's a lot of concepts here around... If you do scening such that if a character dies in this scene, that's fine because the next scene's 20 years down the road and everybody's new anyways. Yeah. Like, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff here. Okay, yeah, so... I, I, I'm, I am constrained myself in that I want it to still be D&D-like in some ways. Uh. Like, I, I, I kind of want to invent 1HP D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I totally agree that uh, there are lots of games that benefit from this. And I think uh, we'll, we'll talk off microphone a little bit later about how we want to approach this. But I, I'm wondering if we host a 1HP uh, it's it's on my book. It's gonna jam. happen. Yeah, it's we'll in my book as well. Out. We'll just have to figure out the mechanics, and we'll we'll throw those into some associated blog post or tweets or whatever as we get closer to that. Okay, ripples of HP through the years. Yeah, let's let's wrap up with that. Something I hate about what HP has turned into is bullet sponges. Mm, yeah, uh, is the really seriously a progress bar? Like, okay, we have to sit here for the next thirty minutes, and we're gonna just hit the person. And we really don't care about much of combat anymore because all that I'm doing is watching that progress bar get ticked down. Yep. And uh, I can't, you know, the way that the mission is set up, we shouldn't leave. If we leave, we know that this is monster's just going to heal all the way back up. And that's not interesting. And what it's turned into in video games where it's like, I'll just sit here pressing A mm-hmm. until the fight's done. Like... It's the worst, the worst mode of what HP could have been, right? And I think it's it's partially in the execution. There are certainly mm-hmm. games that have the huge boss HP bar, 
and you whittle it down a little bit at a time, but they keep it interesting. Uh, I think like WoW raids are a really good example of that, or, or pretty much any MMO raids. Mm-hmm. Like you're typically a bunch of people versus a boss with a very large HP bar, uh, but it's in keeping your coordination among everybody and executing perfectly through that, in dealing with you know the one person gets one step out on the special move you're supposed to do. It's changing modes you, as you go yeah, through the progress modes. bar. There's there's all those things that I think make can make it interesting, mm-hmm. but there's definitely the times where it is it is not because you it's just a big bar and you've pretty much got it under control or the way that you have it under control is so kind of rote. Uh, I've finally been making it through a lot of um, Hollow Knight which is a 2D Metroidvania platformer and the bosses are typically really interesting but all last too long because mm-hmm. they, they vary their patterns slightly typically as they take more hits mm-hmm. but fundamentally it's one pattern that you just have to execute against perfectly for for some amount of time. And there's some randomization thrown in, so it's not literally, like, find the exact pattern. But, like, the boss that I was stuck on for a long time only had, like, a few dashes, a thing where spikes pop around, and a thing where bees shoot through the room. And you have to... And all those are slightly randomized in, you know, where they are in the room and all that, so you can't just do the exact same sequence of button presses. But all you have to do is master those and keep it up for long enough. And it was always to keep it up for long enough that was the problem. And it made it really frustrating. I almost put down the game because this one boss just had me so stuck. Because this whole style of games is really alternating between here is a drip of narrative Mm -hmm. and here is a drip of a skill challenge. Yeah. And I don't know if D&D... I don't know if I like playing D&D as skill challenge. Like, there's certainly the D&D skill challenge that was old school D&D and even 4E and modern D&D where... What we are doing today is I'm going to present you with this interesting encounter, and you and your characters are going to try and find a way through it, and that is the game that we are going to play here. Yeah. And that that is legit D&D. It's, it's not very interesting to me, and I think that's why the bullet sponge thing ends up hurting so much, because I'm like, I'm not even interested in this skill challenge so much, and now you're going to make me sit through it and wait for the progress bar to go over. So I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Hit it. You like Torchbearer, don't you? I like Torchbearer. I like. I don't like combat in Torchbearer. Sure, but I think uh, I think you're being narrow on your definition of kind of the the. You're right. If the part of D and D that is a like skill challenge is the combat part, that I tend to find not typically all that rewarding. Partially mm-hmm. because to keep it integrated with the rest of the game and keep it interesting. Typically, D&D combat is is less interesting than if you were to design, like, a board game that was entirely about this kind of thing. Sure. Um, but the overall skill challenge mode of it, in which HP is one currency that you're trading off between time in the dungeon and random encounters and all this stuff, I actually find very interesting when run well. I think sure. there, there's... Uh, it's only some of the more modern texts on that genre that have managed to get people to actually do it, because for a long time it it wasn't interesting for most people because they didn't approach it. Uh, they, there wasn't enough knowledge in the book about how to do it, or there was too much cultural knowledge, so you read the book and were like, well, obviously I don't do this. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you that like bullet sponge combat optimization, it doesn't do much for me. Um, I think another interesting way that HP has gone in modern games is uh, to pretty much get rid of HP and instead go back to the uh, mostly damage resistance mode of things, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, I've seen a lot in superhero games. Yep. Um, Mutants and Masterminds comes to mind where, where damage 
uh, it, it's buried some across editions, but basically damage is just another thing that you save from, and if you fail, uh, you are typically taking penalties to future damage saves, but you're not really ticking off HP. I mean, it's again, if you zoom that out far enough, it's right. kind of the, you're you're ticking off how likely it is to tick off another one or whatever, <laughs> uh, and eventually you're out of them and you die, but right. uh, practically, I like the idea that uh, you it's a different way to approach it, and it's actually one that has a lot of roots to, to pre-D&D war games. Right. In some ways, you're looking back at the, the combat results table kind of stuff. It, well, it, so a lot of the, the modern war game type stuff, if it's, if it's zoomed out far enough, like a, like a coin game, right? Yeah. You've got a bunch of hit points in this region. They just happen to be a bunch of different cubes because that's how many troops you have. And yeah. when you take damage, you're going to remove a bunch of those cubes, cubes, and then to heal up, you may summon some more cubes in there or you might move some more cubes in from an adjacent space because this is the battle that you care about, right? Mm -hmm. But that the, the style that is about as you're taking damage, you are getting worse and worse and worse is this kind of... You start with a large group of people and then you flip them over and it changes all the odds and it changes how... You know, in Combat Commander, it might change how likely you are to be able to effectively heal the unit, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and just just altering the state of the game enough so that your tactical situation is different and the decisions that you might make with that particular character are different and, and all that kind of stuff is, is just... It's just more interesting, I guess. Yeah. The number and, going down. And I, I didn't mean to do this when I pitched this as our first topic uh, of this season, but uh, I guess in some ways modern takes on this, like gives me another chance to talk about Catch the Devil because it's tying into that, that some of that war game tradition of like a, a flipped version of the unit that is in some way different. Mm -hmm. um, but there it's playing a little bit more, kind of in the same way that D&D &D takes that wargame approach and makes it into single characters. This is taking that strand of wargaming and turning it into single characters. The things that get wounded are parts of how you interact with the world, basically. And there's, there's really no concept of uh, a reserve of hit points. There's only so many things you can flip, but uh, that, again, is only HP if you squint hard enough. I think, um, I think the other really interesting thing, just before we, as we, as we pack up here, is, uh, is that HP kind of implies that you're going to have a healing system that's just adding numbers yep. to things, uh, which is just like HP has all of its own problems as a progress bar going down, healing as a progress bar going up has all of its own problems too. Like the idea of a healing potion where at the beginning of our campaign of D&D, &D, it will heal you so much that you would never, ever have to worry about it, you know, ever. And then late in the game of D&D, &D, that exact same healing potion that you could have gotten then, well, I'm, why even bother keeping this around? Like, yeah. I don't even care about this anymore. That kind of scaling is another side effect of HP as a big pool of things, is that if you want to do the kind of long-running, multi-level D&D game, typically that implies your numbers get bigger. And that means HP gets bigger, and it has this same scaling problem that... Uh, the, in other areas of D&D, &D, things like proficiency help address where, you know, your, your DC is always scaling and people who don't constantly invest in their skills falling out of the ability to do even level-appropriate things. Proficiency helps you get around that. And in the same way, they haven't addressed HP, really. Like, there, there's bigger, tougher monsters and there's bigger healing spells, but there's not as much of the kind of uh, keeping a, a relative ability to scale up 
basic healing uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I guess actually in some ways Hit Dice does that some, but th- there's still like a, a an issue there where when you're dealing with a big pile of things to lose, you also need a big pile of ways to get them back. Mm-hmm. Which makes it not feel different. Which yeah. ma- you know, you want the character growth to feel like, you know, two weeks from now when we're playing the same kind of characters, we're doing different things. We have different problems. The world is different. It's been changed by us. You know, all yeah. this kind of stuff, right? And so much of that in D&D uh, the, is not emphasized enough in modern rule books because even with the larger numbers and all that, that, that works fine as long as you're also changing the fiction around it. Um, you know, they, they put a lot of work into making the numbers matter so that you can scale them just enough and you can just outpace the curve enough in some areas that you're you're ahead and you feel powerful, but just behind enough in others that you feel weak. And they put a lot of effort into that. But fundamentally, the thing that keeps you around is not your numbers getting bigger because everybody's numbers get bigger at a, a somewhat similar rate. It's the... Uh, the changes that happen in the the world of the characters, mm-hmm. or at least in most cases, I guess there's also the genre of game of genre of D and D where you're trying to break that curve. You find all the little rules, loopholes to get yourself far enough ahead, but then your game is basically done once you've created your character or or, or whatever. Yeah, D and D entirely a skill challenge. Yeah, pretty much, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, Actually reminds me, I, I was playing a game with my mother-in-law. She really loves um, the dice game Farkle, which is a little bit like uh, Yahtzee or whatever. Uh, but, you know, you, you roll some dice, push your luck, you get some different hands of things, and they are worth different points. But the scoring for it drives me crazy because it uses, like, hundreds and thousands of points where at least that last zero is completely not load-bearing. You could divide all the scores by 10, and you wouldn't lose any information, and that just drives me crazy. And that's sometimes how high-level D&D feels. Like, you've multiplied every number in the game by 10, but unless you've also scaled what's happening in your game... It, it isn't actually in any way different than playing first level. Yeah, we have a little different tools if you've got a wizard, and that's exactly like we've got. And over time, there's been some advances in ways to to handle that. But I think they've, as they've addressed it more mechanically, mm-hmm. in some ways, the emphasis on on doing it in gameplay ha- has been lost. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really interesting the things that don't scale. There's a, a yeah. story of the. Burning Wheel HQ folks playing Burning Wheel that I, I've at least heard secondhand. I guess I've never had this confirmed by them. But some ma- somebody managed to get, um, I think it was Gray Shade Archery, which in Burning Wheel you have your shades of your skills, and those are like fundamental shifts in kind of the, the scope of your skill or, or the, like, tier almost. Um, and so Gray Shade Archery is huge, but they also were still poor enough that they would literally go in after combat and recover all their arrows. So they're this, you know, epic archer who can do movie Legolas kind of shots, and then afterwards they come through and pick up every single arrow because paying for more arrows is just out of the question. Totally. Um, and that's the kind of scaling that, that I want to see more of. The details. It's the details. It's all about the details. Well, cool. HP. Huh. I think we've talked a lot about HP. So, uh, yeah, I think this season three will be a, a season of indefinite length and indeterminate release. <laughs> but at some point, we'll be back with more of season three where we will uh, take a hard look at different parts of D&D and how they are designed and why are, why are they designed and uh, what they've come to affect since then. Uh, until then, I'm Sage Latour. I'm here with Adam Blinkensop. And uh, this has been another question. Woo!